Welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I said I wouldn't say it, but I'm going to say it. I'm Matt Dwyer. I can't help it. I've been saying it for eight years now and 175 episodes. I have to say who I am, even though it's implied in the title. If you like my theme music there, that is a song by Ken Vandermark. It's called Turn Your Head. It's copyrighted 21st Mobile ASCAP or APCAP. I'd rather APCAP sounds a lot more fun. Uh, today's guest is Alan Sesher, Rabbi Alan Sesher. He was a part of the civil rights movement. He was a freedom writer. He was a protester at the St. Augustine pool incident in Florida. It's a really uh, fascinating and incredible story. He's got it's he's got great stories. He's also a six or seven time Emmy winner. He's a former television producer. He used to produce a show that I watched as a kid called The Magic Door and. Dan Castellaneta, a.k.a. the voice of Homer Simpson, was on the show, which I watched. Um, it was produced out of Chicago. We talk about the TV stuff a little. He talks about being jailed for protests and all these crazy things that went on in the 60s, 50s, and 60s. And today, he's an incredible orator, I could say. I mean, he's a rabbi, so he's used to speaking, and he's, he tells some incredible stories. You're really going to enjoy this episode. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. Thank you for being here. If you're a long-time listener, hey, man, good to see you. Hope it's all hope's all's good. Um, if you're listening to this because of Alan Sesher and you like stories about activism and uh, radicals, etc., people who push against society, I've got a lot of interviews I've done. I've done Mark Rudd from The Weather Underground, been on the show twice. Wayne Kramer, who was a, a White Panther and uh, you know, a radical part of the MC5. Pete O'Neill, who is a Black Panther, lives in exile in Tanzania. Lots of shows. I have a wide, rich library of past guests, so feel free to peruse the other episodes. I would greatly appreciate that. And speaking of old episodes, uh, a couple weeks ago, I had Ryan Samble from the Strange Boys on the show which was one of my favorite bands. And as I often do when I have an artist or a musician or an author on the show, I become very obsessed with their work, and I really deep dive into it. And uh, prior to the show, I listened to a lot of, uh, you know, I did some research, obviously, and I listened to The Strange Boys pretty regularly. Uh, but I, and I, I've definitely listened to a lot of Ryan's newer music, but uh, I really took a deep dive after the episode came out. And he's got a YouTube channel, that and uh, his band camp, which is just suit, uh, Forever Wet Paint Incorporated, I believe, but is his YouTube and his YouTube page. And Ryan Samble is his band camp. Listen to some of his new stuff. He's really, he's just, it's like mind blowing. He's such a brilliant songwriter. And uh, his music is ever-evolving, and it's just, he's really fantastic. So I know I did an episode with him. I just really wanted to plug it again because his music is, is it, there's just so much to it. Uh, emotion, he, beauty, and sometimes some just some good old-fashioned riffs, if you're into that sort of uh, thing. Anyway, I just want to really plug that again because uh, oh, and also he's uh, he go to his uh, Instagram. Just look at his Instagram because he also has been doing pieces of art that he's selling to uh, the homeless, or that he he'll sell. He's not selling them to the homeless, though that would be great too. But he's selling them, and then he's using the money to buy tents for the homeless. So go to his Instagram and uh, check out. I bought one, and I can't wait to get it in the mail. <sighs> That's it. So uh, let us let us get to this conversation. It's an incredible one. Thank you for listening. You're uh, quite an accomplished man. You have six, six or seven, seven Emmys. I read. Yes. That's uh, I do. Uh, uh, there, there's seven. There's seven Chicago Emmys, but nonetheless, they're Emmys. Yeah, and Chicago's a big market, so that's actually quite the achievement. Mm -hmm. uh, well, in the, in the, I had a good time doing it. Uh, was that all for uh, The Magic Door, or was it other, other shows? I can't remember. No, no, the, the last two 
The last two were for a PBS special on resistance in Auschwitz. Uh, we, I, I, uh, Ellen Burstyn, the actress, did the stand-up for it. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, I I get up every morning and I say, who am I today? And, and, and I have a good time doing it. So I'm there. <laughs> That's an interesting philosophy. How does that affect you? So what does, what's the approach you take after you ask that question? I, it depends on what I'm doing that day. So, uh, 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 today I'm an interviewee on a podcast. Uh, uh, when you and I are through, I'll then be uh, uh, a radio announcer. And then tomorrow morning I'll be uh, uh, a Jewish comedian, so to speak. So, uh, and every once in a while I'm a rabbi. Now, how did you get... It's all been good. It, 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 yeah, you have quite the life. How did you... Were you involved in civil rights before you became a TV producer? Or, or how did you... What was your journey into becoming a part of the civil rights Long movement? Long before. Here's a bit of, here's a bit of background. Um, I grew up in small town USA. I mean... Uh, uh, I grew up in a steel mill town in western Pennsylvania, a small town, uh, maybe uh, 20,000 or so in the town. Uh, frequently as a kid, I had rocks busting open my head with Jew bastard on the other side of the rocks. Um uh, uh, I was as a, uh, at age thirteen. Uh, I had an appendicitis attack and was refused. Uh, this wasn't in my time, but in nearby time, refused admittance into a hospital uh, because I was Jewish. It was a Catholic hospital, uh, and uh, the biggie was um, I was a damn good golfer as a kid. Uh, and I was refused uh, the right to play on the high school golf team because the country club was restricted. Uh, no Jews allowed. And that was a quote for me uh, because like every other high school kid, I, I wanted to be a, a jock, you know, have all the girls chasing, chasing after me. Uh, but that that blow that said, "Jew boy, you're not accepted here," uh, just uh, leveled me, and so that in my psyche it became, uh, "I'm going to see to it that that doesn't happen to others." So my connection with civil rights was automatic. Uh, uh, I, I don't know that there was a lot of activity while in college, uh, but certainly once I got into the rabbinate, it became huge. First really major incident uh, happened, little incidents, but, but this was a big one, happened... Uh, Within about two months of my being ordained, there was there was a request from I think it was the Long Island Fair Housing Council. I was about to assume duties in a congregation in Massapequa, Long Island. It was August of 62. I had been ordained in June of 62. Uh, so I was about to assume my first full-time congregation. Long Island Fair Housing Council called and said, there are a number of clergy uh, 
who are responding to a request from Martin Luther King to go to Albany, Georgia, to uh, protest segregation. Primarily was segregation of the library and other public facilities. There's a group of clergy going from New York. Now, this was the first Freedom Riders were 1961. That was the group that went in buses and the buses were stopped and torched and the kids were beaten. This was to be the second run of Freedom Riders. But there are a group of clergy going from uh, assembling in Harlem and driving to Albany, Georgia. We, we assembled at a Harlem church, and this time, instead of buses, we drove. Uh, but even the driving, there were four of us in a car. Uh, even the driving was problematic because we were driving with New York plates, and you're driving in the summertime, and, and so it's not New Yorkers going to Florida uh, for the winter. Uh, and so there was the anxiety of, is our car going to get stopped? We didn't. We fortunately didn't. All right. In Albany, we assembled on the steps of City Hall, and by then we were, I think, about, I'd say about 60 black and white uh, ministers and laymen. Uh, and we were arrested. And then we accomplished something by being arrested. For the first night, we integrated the Albany, Georgia jail. <laughs> uh, blacks and whites. Okay. Then they discovered what they had done and went, oops. And they took the 32 white clergy and they put us in the Baker County Jail. Now, Baker County is famous historically for one major element. It's the home of Jimmy Carter. Uh, now, Jimmy Carter had nothing to do with this, but that's a, a, a definition. They put the 32 of us into a small two room jail, two-cell jail, uh, uh, meant for, I think it's eight people, four uh, bunks in each cell with an anti-space, but there were 32 of us in that area meant for eight. What is an anti-space? Um, and... Well, there was a, a, a like a uh, uh, like an anteroom, uh, like a, a little space where all eight of the people could assemble. Okay, but it was it was I. It was a little 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 space, but it was all thirty two of us clamored into that spot, uh, and the biggie for this is. The toilet and the sink didn't work so that you had 32 people not being, not only not being able to wash it all, but the toilets overflowed. So at the end of the six days that I was there, uh, uh, the muck from the toilet was goals. Uh, it, it was not a pleasant place. Um, they did everything to aggravate us, uh, everything to uh, annoy us. Uh, I was there for six more days, so it was a week altogether. And um, when I got out, I was covered in lice, just covered. Um, now, we did accomplish something. They, our, uh, our protests did manage to integrate the Albany Library, with an exception. 
they took out all the tables and chairs. So you could sort of stand with an African-American. You just couldn't sit with them. Uh, so that was, that was Albany, Georgia, 62. Two more incidents before I get to St. Augustine. Um, the next was I came back to this congregation in Massapequa, a superhero. Look what our rabbi has done. Uh, written up in the New York Times and Time Magazine and Long Island newspaper, television reports. And I had yet to do my first service. So my first service was jammed to the walls. About three or four weeks later, uh, I'm entertaining the youth group in the living room of my home. And I get a phone call from the Long Island Fair Housing Council now, uh, to tell me that they're in the next town. Now, the next town would be like uh, uh, North Hollywood and Sherman Oaks. I mean, right next door, right. literally right next door. In the next town, there had been a sincere discrimination of a housing development that refused to sell a home to a black person, though there were homes available. Uh, and they couldn't get an injunction against further sales till Monday. But this was Saturday night. Would I come the next day to uh, help a picket line, help a protest? And of course, I said, I'll be there in a moment. Uh, they said, well, are there people from your congregation you can bring? I said, well, I got 14 kids sitting in my living room, uh, 14 teenagers. And there's nothing more liberal than a teenager. Uh, I'll ask them. So I went and I asked the teenagers. And uh, all 14 hands went up. And I said, wait a minute. Go ask your parents. And if your parents say, okay, join me at the congregation at the temple uh, tomorrow morning at, let's say, 9 o'clock, and we'll go together. Next morning, six kids called me and said, we talked to our parents. Uh, we want to go. I said, okay, maybe at the temple. Then I got a seventh phone call. And the dialogue in that seventh phone call is as clear to me as our dialogue is right now. It was from the president of the congregation. He said, I understand you're going to do a demonstration this morning. I said, yeah. He says, well, you can't go. I said, what do you mean I can't go? He said, you can't go. It's not your job. It's not my job. I said, so what is my job? He says, your job is to teach them. I said, oh, to teach them. He said, no, 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 that, that's not it. I said, all right, so what is my job? He says, your job is to teach them Judaism. I said, oh, to teach them Judaism. He says, no, 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 that's not what I mean. He said, your job is to teach them the difference between right and wrong. I said, oh, now I understand. I said, all right, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go. Wild horses aren't going to keep me from this. And I will call those six kids and tell them they got to come on their own. I did, and three of the kids came. The following Friday night, the tradition in this congregation then was that the president sat up on the bima, up on the stage during the Friday night service. So I stood up and my sermon was, I repeated the experience uh, to the congregation, the phone call, uh, the six kids, the president. And I said, look, I, I, it, this congregation has to make a decision. Why did you hire me that 
did you hire me because uh, I played semi-pro soccer or lettered as a soccer player in college or uh, can do all the latest dances? Or did you hire me to be an influence on you and your kids? I said, if it's for the former, the dancing and the sports, you got the wrong guy. If it's for the latter, you got the right guy. Uh, and now, with the president sitting up in the bima, okay, it was clear to me at that point I I had made a, a bad choice of congregations, and so had they. But it, it was the kind of thing that not in my backyard. It was okay if I went all the way in the south. That was terrific. But in my backyard, not. So I lasted only a year in that congregation uh, by November of that year. What was their fear of, of you acting locally opposed to in the South? You don't, you don't make, well, it, it, it's the old Jewish bromide is you don't make waves uh, because the Cossacks are going to come in and get you. Uh, you don't make way, and that still is true. I mean, with the troubles we had here three years ago in Whitefish, uh, not every Jew was proud of the response that some of us made uh, uh, to that trolling. Uh, it was, you don't make waves, you don't point out Jews because somebody's going to come and get you. Was that the Richard uh, Spencer? old European... Was that yeah. Richard Spencer? That was the Richard Spencer. Did he t- and he targeted yeah. you specifically? Correct. Not me specifically. No, it, there were three families uh, that were targeted, and it wasn't. It was uh, BTW. By the way, Spencer, uh, Spencer, uh, it, Spencer connection with Andrew Anglin. And it was Andrew Anglin and his uh, his website, the Stormer, the Daily Stormer, that targeted. It targeted primarily. It targeted a local realtor by the name of Tanya Gersh. Uh, then my wife, and then me, and then uh, the local rabbi, Francine Roston. Um, so there were three families involved, and uh, we can catch up with that one at the end of this, unless you want me to digress with no, that now, and then we'll get back. We could get back to it. I was just curious. To, uh, wanted to clarify what was the incident in Whitefish was. Yeah. So uh, now, before I get to St. Augustine, there was... One other experience that's germane to what we're talking about and to my life. Sometime during that year that I was in Massapequa, and it was shortly after Albany, Georgia, but I don't remember exactly when, I got a phone call from somebody I did not know in Long Island uh, inviting me to a dinner at his home where he and his wife wanted to honor the four clergymen from Long Island uh, who had gone to Albany. There was another rabbi and two ministers from Long Island. He wanted to honor us when we come to dinner at his home. We did before, and it was not with our wives. It was just the four of us. And uh, we came to his home, and there was an honored guest at his home. It was King. And so we spent uh, we spent a dinner evening uh, with Martin Luther King uh, to say that it was uh, absolutely one of the major highlights of my life is uh, uh, selling it short. Uh, 
Now, do I remember what the conversation was? I do not. Um, I probably sat there with my mouth open the whole time. <laughs> but it was certainly, yeah, certainly one of the great moments ever. Ever, ever, ever. So, okay, that's Albany, Georgia. Shall we jump to St. Augustine? It is June of 1964. Now, this is a date I remember clearly. It was June 16 of 1964. Um, I am attending a rabbi's convention. I, I now have a congregation of all things. I now have a congregation in... Um, Mexico City. I had I had to get as far away from Long Island as I could. How did you end up in so, Mexico City? <laughs> well, I decided when it was clear that when it was very clear that I, I could not function any longer in. Uh, uh, in Long Island, I went to the placement commission uh, of uh, of the reform rabbis and said, uh, "I want to go overseas." And there was a congregation available in Mexico City, and I decided, "Wow, that that ought to be really interesting." Uh, a Mexico City congregation. So I grabbed it. And uh, in some respects, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Now, why? For all the wrong reasons, but I loved it. Because they asked nothing of me. Uh, they asked, could I be there to do a Friday night service? There were no Saturday service. Uh, I was getting paid beyond handsomely. I was getting paid a U.S. salary. Now, this is 1963. A U.S. salary, I was getting paid about, I'd say, about $14,000. And now, $14,000 then would probably be maybe $70,000 or so now, $80,000. At least, I, I, don't, I don't know the figures. But cost of living in Mexico City at that time um, uh, was one-fourth of what it was in the States. So in essence, I was earning a salary of 300 and some thousand dollars. I mean, I was earning an enormous salary. Uh, I lived an incredible life. The... Um, uh, the uh, I had uh, a large apartment in a fancy neighborhood. I had a full-time live-in maid for $40 a month. Now, that was $15 more than my congregants were paying, but I felt that $25 a month was slave labor. And the live-in maid did all the cooking, all the cleaning, all the shopping, all the laundry, all the everything, okay? All we had to do was ring a bell. Um, I never had to say for the only time in my life, can I afford it? Because I always said, okay, let's, let's fly up to Houston for the weekend, sure. Okay, let's go to New York, let's go to Acapulco, sure. Let's buy a new couch, sure. Um, and the congregation, I, I, there was no uh, dealing with the other 13 congregations. These were gringos. These were Americans living in Mexico, and the congregation was in English. Although I learned Spanish while I was there, the congregation was in English. They wanted me to have nothing to do with the other expats 
with the non-Jewish expats. They wanted me to have nothing to do with the other Orthodox congregations. Uh, I golfed twice a week. I had an honorary membership in the local, in the Jewish country club. There were 40,000 Jews in Mexico. So I had a great life. Uh, I left Mexico because I could not be involved in civil rights there. Because there they told you, yes, we are a democratic country. Uh, you want to you protest? Go ahead, protest. Know that we'll shoot you, but you can protest. Because <laughs> uh, yeah. notice in 68, I think it was, when there were protests about the Olympics, and the Mexican government shot the protesters. I uh, I did not. There was one occasion in Mexico where I had the congregation gather food and clothing uh, for people living in the slums. Uh, and the, the government came to me and said, you may not do that. That's our problem, not yours. So I, I couldn't do what I felt was critical of my life. So I left and came to your neighborhood, came to uh, Northridge. Uh, so, uh, rabbi in Mexico City in June of 64, and there is a conference of rabbis in Atlantic City. Uh, I reform rabbis, about 500. And we are told that at the opening plenary session on the 16th of June that uh, Martin Luther King uh, wanted to address the rabbis uh, from St. Augustine, Florida. And uh, so... Over the loudspeaker comes a plea from King is that they had been the primarily the beach in St. Augustine was segregated and they wanted to integrate the beach and other public areas in St. Augustine. And they had been demonstrating there for about a week and there had been a whole host of arrests, arrests and beatings and they had been marching uh, through uh, the black neighborhood to the white neighborhood to uh, the what was the remnants of the old slave market. Uh, would some rabbis uh, come to St. Augustine? So I immediately grabbed the clipboard and I began circulating, trying to get rabbis to join us. And to my utter, utter dismay, I could only get 16 rabbis. And I heard, and this is a, a, of the most powerful experiences of my lifetime. I heard every kind of excuse going from rabbis as to why they couldn't go. Oh, I have a congregation meeting on Thursday. Okay, uh, my wife's birthday is Tuesday. It's my turn to drive my kids uh, to school on Friday. Uh, it's uh, sisterhood Sabbath. Uh, every kind, and one rabbi who came to me and said, "No, I, I, I can't make it, but I'll preach about it." What was and the so reluctance to go? Five hundred. All I. Yeah, they realized to go. They could preach about it. They, uh, they could talk the talk, but not walk the walk. And it just leveled me. But we got 16 of us in one layman to go. Now, in this case, it's now two years later. We went the next morning. The 17 of us went, and we flew from Philadelphia to St. Augustine. Uh, we were met at St. Augustine 
by members of a black congregation and the Ku Klux Klan followed us. Uh, we were taken to black homes where we were fed and where we were to spend the night. Uh, another rabbi and I, by the name of Hanan Sills, who unfortunately passed away about two months ago, uh, shared in uh, one of the black homes. But after eating, we then assembled at a black church, and we were addressed by King Andrew Young, who had been beaten with an inch of his life, and Ralph Abernathy. And we were told, we were told what to do uh, if, um, what to do uh, if we were beaten. How to do passive resistance? Uh, how to uh, comport yourself? Uh, and then we were told we're going to do the protest march the same as we've been doing for a week's time. Uh, we're going to continue the protest march when we're through assembling here. Uh, and King said, and I have to tell you that yesterday, uh, one of our marchers was shot. That someone had crawled up a tree and as we passed under the trees in the white neighborhood, had been shot. They weren't killed. They were shot. But we're going to continue the march. Uh, the the uh, National Guard had been called uh, uh, out to sort of protect the marchers. But uh, you know, two-thirds of the National Guard were crackers. So... Uh, so, all right, everyone, we're going to line up to march. And as we had it, we assembled the march, and I was the first person in the line. And I was paired with a young black woman, I'd say in her mid-20s. And the the deal there is you hold hands, you march. There were probably anywhere... Uh, from 60 to 100 of us on the march. Uh, and so we marched uh, through the black neighborhood, through the white neighborhood, to the slave area and back. And I'll tell you this, it was the absolute scariest couple of hours of my life. What were you because thinking? Because you have no idea... I was thinking, holy shit, I'm going to be shot. <laughs> and and by the way, my my wife and the congregation are down in Mexico, and I told none of them. So they're going to find out that their rabbi is up in uh, up in Florida, and the son of a bitch got shot. A protest. Now, I don't think the congregation in Mexico would have objected, uh, but nonetheless, uh, and I was scared. I was really scared. It was, uh, you know, just imagine that you, you're spending a couple hours thinking this could be your last effort in life. So, uh, so that was my scary time, but. Uh, obviously I made it because here I am. <laughs> okay. um, all right. So, um, Matt, let me keep going. Okay. Were uh, you there at the pool uh, incident? And by the way, yes. Pardon? Now we're getting to the pool okay. incident. Oh, uh, the pool incident's major, 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 major. Um, all right, next day, we assemble at the church again, and we are told that we are going to be divided in three. A group of us are going to go to uh, a lunch counter in 
a Woolworths, a group of us. And now we are not, at this point, we are joined by a whole host of other people, not just the 17 of us. There's a number of other ministers, another a number of other laymen, both black and white. We are told that a third are going to go to a lunch counter. A third are going to go to a restaurant. At this point, there was a law that said if you... Uh, commerce, in interstate commerce, you may not discriminate. So that if you were a Woolworths, or if you were a Howard Johnson's, or a Holiday Inn, or some of the other interstate group, you may not. Now, that didn't stop a whole host of people, but there was a law. So we were going to go protest at the Woolworths, we're going to go protest at a restaurant in a um, in a motel that was part of interstate, and we are also going to protest at that same motel, uh, the Monson Lodge, and we uh, and the 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 great majority of the seventeen of us were assigned the Munson Motor Lodge. Well, we gathered in the parking lot of the Munson Motor Lodge, uh, and we formed a circle that we were going to do a prayer service. And about, I would say, 20 feet or so on the other side of the parking lot was a swimming pool, was the Munson Motor Lodge swimming pool. And... Um, we're in the midst of our prayer service and a car pulls up. And in the car are, I think it's five people, five kids, three blacks, two whites in bathing suits. And they run through the parking lot, past us and leap in the pool. Now, the pool was occupied by some whites. The whites immediately leave the pool, and the five people get into the pool. The manager of the Munson Motor Lodge is so distressed by what's going on that he grabs, that he grabs two gallon jugs of acid. Uh, I forget at the moment the type of acid, but he ga- he grabs two gallon jugs of acid and he begins pouring the acid into the pool. And we're standing there and, and 20 feet or so away, you're seeing everything. Um, and he, he grabs the, the acid and the kids do not leave the pool. It was the most courageous act I've ever seen. Now, what he does not realize is this particular acid dilutes itself with water. So it's of no effect whatsoever. But he didn't know that, and the kids didn't know that. And the kids did not leave the pool until a cop in clothing and a gun on his hip leaps into the pool and pushes them out. Now, that scene became noted all over the world because the television cameras were now covering this action. Newspapers, magazines were covering what was going on. So this scene was seen all over the world. And that particular scene so moved Lyndon B. Johnson that he pushed within a number of days the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And he credits the seeing that pool scene as what motivated him to really push the completion of that act. Um, So we were arrested, all 17 of us. We were arrested and we were taken for disturbing the peace without a permit. Um, we were taken to a large park.
parking lot by by the county jail, and um, taken to the parking lot. And then again, I witnessed another memorable scene. Uh, there, I, there were a whole host of cops and a whole mess of people being arrested. Among them, a young white girl, I'd say 22, 23 years of age, uh, with a long skirt. And again, I can see this scene. One of the cops took an electric cattle prod and shoved it up her ass and turned it on. And I can hear the scream of that kid still... 50, what is it, 56 years later. Um, It was horrendous, just absolutely horrendous. All right, so they jailed us. Now, the jail was different than the Albany jail. Uh, The jail was clean. Uh, It was larger than the Albany jail. Uh, It wasn't fit. And they they did segregate just the 17 of us. I want to take this moment right now to thank you for listening to the podcast. And if you like what you're hearing and you want to hear more, you can become a Patreon subscriber. At patreon.com slash Matt Dwyer, you'll find bonus episodes, commentary on every episode, blogs, videos, pictures. Just become a subscriber. It's a great way to help me keep the show going. If you can't be a subscriber to Patreon and you want to help the show, do me a favor and tell some friends about the show. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to support the show. Or you can go to iTunes, rate the show, give it five stars, write a review, and I'll read it on the uh, podcast. And subscribe. That helps me with the old uh, podcasty numbers. And if you like my podcast, listen to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine or Kilgallen's Pub with Joe Kilgallen. Also, don't forget to go to themattdwyer.com. That's a jumping off point for all things conversations with matt dwyer you can find merch on there links you to my patreon and social media why don't you buy a t-shirt what the heck why not now back to the interview it was for less than 17 of us but it was it was sort of adequate Uh, and the big thing was is the toilet and the sinks worked uh but we sat there we sat there for two days and it was, hey, we really ought to talk about what motivated us to come. Well, they had taken almost everything from us, but one guy had the stub of a pencil. And we found in the cell somehow an old Ku Klux Klan poster. And we wrote on the back of the poster a manifesto called Why We Went. And it's a piece, uh, and if if you want, uh, Matt, mm-hmm. it can send you a copy of I would that, love that manifesto. I would love that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, uh, and then uh, uh, we were released from jail. Uh I'm out on bail from both Albany and St. Augustine. Um, so you're talking to a felon. Um, um, <laughs> you're not my first. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we were released. Now, here's the big question, certainly with St. Augustine. Um, uh, and that is, did we do any good? The answer there is yes, but. All right, St. Augustine, the beach is integrated now. St. Augustine, the town is integrated. You can go to any other restaurants. Uh, But uh, in St. Augustine, there's still a huge black poverty neighborhood. Uh, The schools aren't completely integrated. In the town, now this is from six years ago, Uh, the town administration, you have to go all the way to the parks department to find a black involved in the administration. Uh, 
because what they did do is that it used to be that you had uh, the city council by neighborhoods. Well, they changed that so that it was, uh, what's it called? Uh, you could vote for anybody. You voted for eight or 10 people anywhere in the town. Well, there are more whites in the town than there are blacks. So, uh, And the, the black area is really just as poor as it was in 1964. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a film. There's a film that you might, that... Uh, Andrew Young did. Uh, it's called Dare Not Walk Alone. It's about St. Augustine. Uh, and uh, he shows some of the march in there. He shows the arrest and he shows the pool scenes in there. And you see the kids and the cop and so on. So you might want to try to get a hold of that if you can. Now, it's in nowadays... You, I'll tell you what you can do. You can see some of it on the Internet. If you're confined to home like everyone else is, you can see some of it on the Internet. Yeah, I did look a lot of it up before uh, we talked. And it, it's the photos of... Uh, oh, you did? Yeah, I mean, it's it just the first photo I saw of them pouring acid into the pool was horrific it was was, i'm speechless because i just i was in complete shock that someone would think that do act like that in does it oh it's it's i was gonna ask it's amazing isn't it yeah do you feel i mean we have a resurgence of i don't know if you could say it's a resurgence but it's more open now with uh the white supremacist movement and the alt-right and do you find this shocking that it it is sort of come back into the i don't public view is it's more open than it used to be shocking is an understatement try devastating uh yes it's it's always been present there are always haters there always is someone who says it's someone else's fault for whatever. Okay? Uh, you're out of a job. Uh, I, I know a guy who has had probably anywhere from 15 to 20 jobs in his life. And he's always he's fired again and again and again. And it's always somebody else's fault. Well, it's the same story. Uh, uh, You're not driving a Mercedes, it's somebody else's fault. You're not living in Bel Air, it's somebody else's fault. Not yours. So there's always hate. But the resurgence of hate is that it's in our government now. It gives the opening for haters like Spencer. Um, and Spencer is an under, it, it's come out of the woodwork. And it's a bummer. Uh, uh, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting what I got as a kid all over again. But I'm a tough mother, Matt. <laughs> I, I ain't gonna let it get me down. The, I, I learned this back in college. Illegitimus non carburandum. Don't let the bastards wear you down. So uh, I'm, I'm still uh, I'm still tilting. I'm still riding my white horse and tilting. Uh, I guess. Jeez. We've talked a lot, Matt. Yes, we have. I just, and that's what I wanted to ask you most was how, do you feel that this current administration, I mean, I feel like they definitely stoke the flames. I feel like they use subtle uh, terminology that is a a signal 
to the alt-right and to the racists in this. And not, not even subtle. I mean, it's pretty overt with what our president does at times. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. Okay. It's uh, the famous phrase is, there are good people on both sides from Charlottesville. No, I stoke the flame. He pours gas on the flame uh, to permit. I, and it's what never ceases to amaze me. Uh, our, uh, the head of our, 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 our president is a racist squared. Uh, and what amazes me is a racist with a Jewish son-in-law, a Jewish daughter, and Jewish grandchildren, and that his major uh, advisor in the Oval Office is a Jew, is Miller. And it kills me that you've got a, a, a Jewish anti-Semite. Um, no, he's stoking the flames. Um, now, uh, they're, uh, they're coming to get us, Matt. Uh, I, I don't know your background. I won't be the first in the line. Uh, the first in the line uh, uh, will probably be uh, the blacks and the immigrants, and the Mexicans. And, uh, you know, the the line from first they came for the socialists, but I was a socialist, and then goes through the list, and finally they came for me, and there was nobody to defend me. Um, now, I, I don't mind saying this. I would hope that come November there's a change in the administration. But I'm going to continue fighting it. I will not put my head in the sand. How close do you think we are to fascism? Around the corner. Around the corner. Um, And by around the corner... My anxiety is if Trump loses in November, that he's not going to leave the White House, that he's going to create some sort of civil battle. Because bear in mind, 43 to 45% of the country thinks he's God. And fascism, you hear it in his every word. Yes, I think we're on the edge of fascism. Uh, So, um, November is going to mean, to me, November is going to mean a a huge thing. We're very active in democratic politics here in Montana. Now, Democratic politics in Montana is an oxymoron. Uh, they, the state is uh, red, 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 except wonderfully we have a Democratic governor and a senator. Uh, uh, the Democratic senator is a buddy. Uh, he's been in our home numerous times. Uh, uh, and we're hoping that we are going to get two Democratic senators. Um, At this stage of the game, the Republican Senate would back a sense of fascism uh, from Trump. So, now, let me ask you something else. Do you want to do anything... Before we call this, and it seems to me we've been on for an hour, Matt. I, Holy <laughs> gee. And I, all you did was ask, and all you did was ask me to say my name. <laughs> uh, 
All right. So I think we've covered a lot. It's been fun. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Conversations with Matt Dwyer. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and review it on iTunes and subscribe to the show. Also, go to themattdwyer.com and check out all things Matt Dwyer. My Patreon, merchandise, you name it, it's there. And thank you for supporting podcasting. I hope you come back and listen again. Thank you very much. Hello. Hello, Alan. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? (laughs) I can.